Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsing. With me is not Anne. Nope, she's out partying and drinking and all that cool stuff and left me here all by myself. Anyways, uh, to help me out because I was feeling so sad is my co-host from Ghost Chronicles International, all the way from the storm-ridden coast of the land of the Red Dragon, the gold standard in ghost hunting, Mr. Steve Parsons. Good, good, good morning, Rob. How are you? Is it morning yet? It is. It's one minute past midnight. Oh, cool. Very cool. Very As cool. ever, I speak to you from the future. Mm. Yeah, you know what's interesting is um, you guys get in the, and of course Ghost Chronicles is heard on Tojinet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. Uh, but you've got some nasty storms out there, and you get uh, some bad weather from us. I guess is that how? It uh, works? Yeah, it, it, we get the we tend to about three or four days behind what leaves New England arrives in Old Wales. Um, but this line of storms is a new one. We very very rarely get thunderstorms in West Wales. Uh, when we do, they tend to be pretty severe. Um, and tonight we've been uh, we've had the the what did they call it the blood moon uh, the bloody lightning um, we. We've got tides uh, overlap, 60-mile-an-hour winds, and the tides overtopping the, uh, all of the seafront because we've got a very high tide as well. So we're having a bit, of a, a bit of a bumpy night tonight. Well, I'm sure you'll survive being the gold standard in ghost hunting. I, you know, I mean, I'm sure. Well, I'll survive. I mean, we've had, uh, we've had power outages all night, and the power and, the power and the Internet was only restored about 20 minutes ago, so fingers crossed. Okay, we will see. Anyways, um, we have a, a, a gentleman on the show coming on, uh, and he is a paranormal investigator from, I guess, 1933, if I read this right. <laughs> and you don't know, I don't read very well. Uh, yeah. As yeah. I said, that's obviously Harry Price, then. Yeah, there you go. And he's also uh, a... Um, a, uh, a guy like us, only better, of course, much more polished. Um, he is a talk show host as well on the Paranormal and does the show after hours AM. So without further uh, ado, and I am sure I'm going to butcher his name as usually, um, Mr. Joel Sturgis. Oh, you did that really, really well, by the way. And it's not 1933, gosh darn it, it's 1992. Sorry. It is isn't 1933? No, sir. No, sir. I'm not that old yet. Although some days I do feel like I'm that old. I oh. tell he's a talk show host. Listen to that voice for radio. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Good evening. Well, I've, been at, I, I, I've been at it over 20 years, so I've had a little yeah. bit of time to kind of hone it. 
Yeah, well, the people always say about Ron, he has the perfect face for radio, so now we have the perfect voice as well. You know how old that is, uh, Parsons? You know? I know, but it's still good and relevant. No, it isn't. Not at all. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, anyways, um, Joel, uh, you uh, mentioned in your email to me that you studied under Brad Steiger, and my astute friend from across the pond has never heard of him. Who is Brad really? Steiger? Uh, Mr. Brad Steiger hails from Iowa here in the States, and I'm from Minnesota, and so we kind of ran into a, each other when I was kind of younger, mm-hmm. and he has written over 160 books in the paranormal, mm-hmm. and I sh- showed an interest when I was a kid, and he kind of took me under his wing and kind of guided me along of what's right, what's wrong, how to do this, how to do that, and quite honestly, I owe a lot to him because without a really good teacher, it's hard to make it in this field, especially back then, where mm-hmm. there wasn't anything out there other than a few books. Absolutely. And unlike my esteemed colleague from across the pond, I, I actually do know Brad Steiger. In fact, I've had him on my show before, believe it or not. So, eh, to you, Parsons. <laughs> well, I, I, I can't, I mean, you know, I'm, a, I'm only a ghost hunter. I don't know every other ghost hunter in the world. However, I do have access to Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm frantically playing catch-up here. Okay. So but, the, oh. but no, he isn't, he isn't well-known this side of the Atlantic. He's not a name that uh, we're familiar with over here as, uh, in terms of the paranormal. Exactly. I, I, I would agree, you know, and... Uh, we have a lot of listeners in the UK on my own show. Love them all. I just want to give everyone a shout-out over there. You guys are all rocking and awesome. By the way, I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, your show, where can it be heard, uh, Joel? Well, currently we are on, what are we on? Uh, about 20 to 30 Internet radio networks along with 200 terrestrial radio networks. <laughs> We have just picked up the biggest uh, FM station in New Orleans right now, UPRN 107.7, top of the dial. And so we are doing all right. We really enjoy what we do. I have a great co-host. His name is Bruce Baraclough, and he is actually a a Bigfoot researcher of some fame. And so we kind of pop on air a couple times a week, you know, raise a little heck and get off, basically. (laughs) I think I I might jump ship, Ron. Uh, You know what? I hope you do. Uh, Anyways... (laughs) Yeah, you do have an awesome voice for radio. I mean, it's it's typical, uh, you know, top of the hour stuff. It's, it's awesome. Really cool. Wish I had that, but unfortunately, God didn't. Uh, you got her, man. You got her. But uh, yeah. just, just to let you know, you know, when I was a kid and I first got into the paranormal research, see, I primarily, because of my, my background in radio, I really concentrate on the EVP end of it. Mm-hmm. And not just EVP, but where the voices fall in the EVP. Which is funny because most ghost voices, quote-unquote ghost voices, don't fall in our human range of hearing. That's why we don't hear them real time. They actually fall more, if you were to take it back and look at everything, more into like a canine's range of hearing. That is why a lot of times, in my opinion, you'll be on an investigation. If you do have a dog with you, he seems to be reacting to things you don't hear. All right. Oh, so that's why Ian hears much more than I do. Okay, I understand that now. Um, but anyway, uh, Joel, my car, colleague here is uh, Steve Parsons, and he is uh, doing quite a bit of uh, research on uh, infrasound. 
and is quite interested in, in audio. So when I told him that you were going to be on the show, he was, uh, you know, quite interested in what you had to say about uh, EVPs and, and that whole line. Well, you know, it's funny. Oh, go ahead, sir. I'm so I was say, very in, uh, particularly interested now, Joel, because you, you're talking about uh, areas in the, the, uh, my specialist interest because my PhD is looking at sounds that we can't hear, uh, infrasound and ultrasound, and their re- relationship to paranormal claims. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it, it, I, although I'm not actually doing EVP research, um, my colleague in parascience uh, is actually, her PhD is looking directly at EVP. Mine is exploring acoustic sound that's uh, above and below the range of human hearing. Exactly. And, and, you know, as you, like, as in your research as in mine, it, it's really kind of nuts how high and even some of these EVP, how low they can go to because it can also go below our hearing range, which is a whole nother ball game there. And uh, when you get a class A, quote unquote, class A EVP without having to clean it up, without me having to load it in and do all these different things with my audio graphs and everything else, I, I think that is really one of the coolest things an investigator can experience is that just out of the box, here I am, EVP. Yeah, I, 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 the one thing I am interested in particularly is uh, your ability to, it's, it's relatively straightforward to be able to record and play back ultrasound by slowing back the recordings, but most uh, audio equipment, in fact, all, virtually every item of commercial audio equipment, as we both know, is designed to exclude sound events below around about 20 hertz, the dreaded exactly. rumble. The dreaded rumble of the of the sound engineer. Um, you know, computer sound cards don't work down there. Microphones don't work very well down there. Uh, audio recorders virtually don't work down there. So, it's an, the low frequencies are exceptionally difficult to to be able to record by comparison to their their high frequency counterparts. Exactly. So, I, I, I just wondering how, you, how you're achieving that. You know, quite honestly, what I have had to do is manipulate. Um, I built my own audio stuff here in their programs just by knowing kind of how to mess with it. And one of those programs that opened it itself up to being able to be kind of tweaked and rebuilt just a little bit was a program, an old one, and I'm sure you're familiar with this cool edit. Remember that old program? I remember it. I still still use it on a regular basis. Exactly. And that one seems to allow to go lower. Now, Now, as you're talking lower, you can't go extremely low like what we're talking about. And in fact, most things in the low band are missed, even by a professional like myself. But I do my darndest to catch them all. Uh, How are you actually getting the sounds into the computer, though? Because you, you, your microphones and stuff are, are virtually useless down below, you know, 40, they are. 30, 20 hertz. They are. And, that's, and very rarely... Have I caught anything that low, lower than the 20 hertz, of course. But uh, what I have done in the past is loaded it directly in using a wireless microphone directly into the computer where it can, with a a different type of microphone, where I can. It's made for underwater research, the microphone, uh, because that, as you know, will pick up much lower decibels. 
Yeah. So you kind of custom make the underwater equipment to work above ground, which it doesn't necessarily like to, because it relies a lot upon, um, you know, uh, as we know, water uh, carries sound much farther than air does. Uh And so it really relies upon having to tweak it just a little bit to get it to do the thing you want it to do. Before we get a bit too techy, because I can see me and Joel going to be talking all night here. One neat trick that you might try and find out, Joel, uh, from from my own research is if you uh, if you use a hydrophone, as you say, they they will go down into the very low frequency range quite successfully. Um, rather than trying to make it work in air, throw it in a bucket of water, and uh, it works very very well for air recording. That's a great uh, idea. Just I didn't chuck the mic into that. a bucket of water. You know, I didn't think it works really, really well. (laughs) And not only only that, we know that water captures ghosts because I saw that on TV the other night. I saw that one too. The poor guy was stuck. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you keep out the tech talk a minute. No, seriously, Joel, um, one way to make a hydrophone record air sounds um, is to couple it using a bucket. Uh, So if you just throw it in a a, a two-gallon plastic bucket, it'll work Mm -hmm. pretty well. Uh, mm-hmm. For recording normal uh, acoustic sounds tra- uh, transmitted through air, it couples via the water in the bucket. Exactly, that works much better than trying to trick it, which yeah. I have done in the past. <laughs> right. Simple, simple methods sometimes work the best. You know is what? There... Yeah, that saved me a whole lot of time. I thank you for that, Tiffany. <laughs> is there a special type of bucket? I mean, is there a branding bucket we should be using? Um, as an actually, experiment? to get the very best quality sound. Uh, and I know you would tell me this. Well, a metal pail actually works best of all. Uh, yeah, you know, the, that makes the sense. Me- the metal acts as a diaphragm. Um, I can't, why, don't get a rubber actually, bu- why don't you get a rubber bucket and then you can vibrate? <laughs> <laughs> the, actually, the, the diaphragm is actually the top surface of the water, so the rigidity of the metal bucket helps uh, control the sound better. And if the hydrophone is placed one-third of the bucket depth from the yep. bottom, uh, it's in the uh, the most focused point of the bucket, and it's all about acoustics as well yeah. as the metal. It's a, it, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a it, sound is it's dead simple. It's just it's just waves. Um, you know, once you get the idea that it, it, you're just dealing with waves, it becomes quite easy to understand and to play around with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, once you can dial it in, and you kind of yeah. have some success, go yeah. from there. You know, is what I tell you when it's experiment. Right. I, I know that uh, for one of the experiments we did, we actually used, how can I say this? Um, we used a a, uh, a wooden hoss uh, used in Troy uh, and put it over the microphone. So, um, okay. Did you get that? I did. Yeah. I was wondering why. <laughs> Why? Because it, and then you put it in the bucket, and then it worked okay. out. Okay. Yeah. Well, that that would work as well. Yeah. <laughs> but I find EBP to be the that most was actually fun. used. I'm not kidding. <laughs> you know, I'm game so to try anything. Horse in a bucket of water now. Not in a horse. That's so enough. You said a toy I... horse, like in like in Troy. Yeah. Well, it's a brand name for something. Oh, fair enough. Sounds Funny. like. Uh, I'll <laughs> leave. Yeah, I'll leave it. You're going to have to explain that one to me in writing sometime. Yeah, I will. I will. It must be a UK thing. Maybe you don't have that brand over there, but anyway. Joe, no. you know what I'm talking about, please. 
Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, sound and how it's manipulated and how it's moving. And then, of course, you're using the metal bucket, you know, and that's a great idea. But modification now to go in air. Now, because you, you can't always bring a bucket with you is the bad part. You know? uh, come on, I mean, they're not that difficult to carry. An empty bucket. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to carry a pail of water with them? <laughs> it's it, it's it's far easier than trying to trick the electronics um, or, or modify the you know, the the way the microphones are working because uh, it's designed to work in water and it does work pretty effectively at the very low frequency end of the band and once you you know if you, if you then sort of configure a way of getting these low frequency vibrations past the sound card without them being too much attenuated. You know, carrying a bucket round by comparison is easy work. It is. I just had to tease you a little bit about the bucket. You don't <laughs> I, want like, to I just like to keep things simple. I, you, know, don't like, you know, it's far easier to chuck it in the bucket than, than mess about with the soldering iron and, and complicated rewriting of software. Exactly. And you know what? My, my partner in crime over there, uh, Bruce Bericle on the show... He is far more um, in tune to other technical stuff. I'm just the sound dude, but the new stuff that's coming out for ghost hunting and even Bigfoot investigation is starting to blow my mind. It's making things so much easier than it ever was as well, by the way. Just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah. Uh, you could also argue it's also making it much, much easier for people to become... Uh, confused by what the inf by the information that they're getting because some of the I don't know. We're learning stuff all the time. I mean, I learned yeah, yesterday that ghosts are afraid of lasers. So I mean, that yeah. that itself was well, well worth it. I mean, on the on the sound front, I saw a brand new gadget being promoted earlier in the week, which is supposedly an infrasound detector, uh, which is basically a, a rubber diaphragm stretched over what looks like a filter funnel, fed mm -hmm. down to a, a black box with a flashy light on the bottom. That's what I was talking about. Um, and they're claiming it's an infrasound detector. Now, you know, anybody that knows a little bit about infrasound, and I pride myself on, on knowing a fair bit about infrasound, will realize that this is actually not working at all. Uh, the diaphragm has a resonant frequency, I think, of around about 3,000 hertz. Uh, what they've done is they've made a, they've taken a, a, a basic geophone and stuck a plastic funnel uh, on top with a balloon stretched over it and flogged it for a bit more money. Good old paranologies. Hey man, any way to make an extra buck? Oh yeah, it doesn't tell. It doesn't even tell you, um, you know, what it's doing. It just flashes a red light, a blue light. So you know, is it infrasound or is it just? Uh, so, so the owner's manual is a little, a little hard to read, is it? Uh, I don't think they have a supply one. It's on, I saw a video of it working on YouTube, and it was very, very apparent that actually it wasn't doing anything infrasonic at all. Um, so if, you, if any of you are going to buy one of these devices, don't. Save your Fire money. beware. Yeah, you can, you can actually detect infrasound with your iPhone. And if you there you go. My, my science paper will tell you how to do it. Yeah, there's uh, an app out there. Anyway, uh, there's an app for everything. I no, wish not, it was an infrasound app. There's actually a, a, a technique that I discovered by accident that yeah, uh, will, work, uh, will work with any sound meter or even an iPhone, and uh, it will alert you to the presence of infrasound. Wow. Oh, that's, yeah. See, I did not know that with the iPhone. See, I'm an Android guy, 
And ah. so I have not well, messed with well, If you've got a sound meter app on your, on your Android, it will work well with that as well. It, okay. it, it, it can work with any sound meter, providing it's got both A and C weighting. Yeah. You have to have both waves. You have to have both waves. It's a really, really simple trick, and uh, if Ron posts the link to the Parascience website on the first page, there is uh, a guide to, inf- uh, there's a link to the actual infrasound paper. The appendix of the paper is the how to do it with a sound meter or your iPhone. Well, that's all interesting, Steve, but we're here to talk to Joel. So uh, thank you so hey, much for the information. We're, so, we're having a tech talk, Ron. <laughs> so, Joe, uh, you know, you, you mentioned in your email that, to me that, that you work as, with EVP, which we've established a little earlier. And one of the things you said is that you get a lot of third-party EVP. So, I mean, what do you do with them, and, and do you well, critique what, what them? Hap- or I'll answer that question quick. Because what happens is I, I'm out there, I'm in the radio industry, and a lot of quote-unquote groups that I have good working relationships with, and if they have a question about some sound, I will privately in a, you know, go over that for them and give them a total breakdown of what is going on with that piece of audio. Step-by-step breakdown. This is where it came in. This is the frequency. This is the duration. Now, an important thing to look at if you're a paranormal investigator is it in the human vocal range. If it's within the human vocal range, Sometimes it's a very good chance, most of the time it's a very good chance, it's not a true EVP. It's usually contamination nine times out of ten. When I magnify things, I can actually hear the contamination coming from a distance. Okay. I mean, uh, I work with Mike Marquatz, who is very much into EVP. That's his whole life. And he always, you know, gets the, the best equipment, the best microphones. And, and it, that always concerns me because um, the better the equipment, the more background noise you can pick up, the more, you know, ambient voices. So how do you distinguish them from, you know, a ghostly voice, for instance, than, a, than just uh, generally, generally, a ghostly voice, in my experience, as being a sound engineer, will come in at an entirely different frequency than the human vocal range. Okay. That is a good way to tell what's going on. Uh, you know, obviously, when we're talking, we have a decibel point that we're talking at that is in the human range. Okay, now, if we are listening to EVP, and, and have you ever noticed the EVP almost sounds like the static proceeding at first? Mm-hmm. A lot yes. of times, I'll listen to that static, that little snippet of static, and, you know, and quite honestly, it's one of those mysteries of EVP. No one quite knows why that static is there. Now, is that because they're manipulating the microphone itself or are they speaking directly into the microphone? I happen to think it's a, a, probably a tad bit of both. Really? Um, you know, you also get those snaps and pops as well. Yeah, yeah. And so the interesting thing is, is uh, have you a theory for why we do get those as well? Or in you know, part of me thinks that there's a. It almost sounds like, and bear with me, gentlemen, almost like an energy pop, doesn't it? Almost uh, like a a bit of yeah. an energy pop. If yeah, if I, I don't know, energy, define an energy pop. I was at first I agreed uh, that I'm not sure what an energy like, pop is. So therefore, like almost like. Gosh, the best way I can describe it is like a faint, almost like almost like like an electrical pop in some ways, but mm-hmm. just 
color. And I oh, think I see what you mean. a lot of that is because the energy being manifested to be able to speak. Okay. They're that, disturbed. That, that does make sense. Yep. So, and going on with, with your EVPs research and so forth, I mean, we run across and there have been other reports of uh, what are called screamers, and that appears to be voices that that almost scream into the recorder. Is that something you've run across in your research, or is that just... I, I have. I, I have, and I think it's just simply the ghost trying to get your attention. Uh, okay. <laughs> in a lot of it, because that almost seems panicked when they do scream. It's it's not like a, a screaming as in normal vocal range. It's more of an exclamation point scream than mm-hmm. it is anything else. That's my That's my opinion and theory on that. Right. It's just like if I were to come and scream in your ear kind of thing. Right. Of course, you don't really hear EVPs on real time for the most part. So it's, no, no. That's, uh, you that's know, the interesting thing about it. Uh, that, well, if you don't that hear is, EVPs in real time, then doesn't that rather dismiss the idea of the ghost box? It, it kind of does. I mean, it's called just called the voice phenomena at that point when you hear real time. Exactly. But uh, uh, the ghost box, boy, you, you know, I, I don't want to step on any toes, but I have a hard time thinking that the ghost box is a very accurate way of communication. I could be totally wrong again, like I said, disclaimer here. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't seem to be uh, my cup of tea, the ghost box, because just too much interference to isolate what's going on in that voice. And I and I kind of agree with you on that because uh, you know I've seen ghost rocks in use for a, a lot of big things and people tend to choose what they want to hear out of it. Uh, you know, most of his sessions are not recorded to, to start with. I mean, which makes it difficult. And then when they go back for the evidence, they'll only choose the the words that actually fit whatever they were looking for. In reality, that's much the same for EVP, though, Ron. People pick and choose the words that they that they think or that they want to hear more. Mm-hmm. You know, they, the best EVPs, we've said before, the best EVPs are always the ones that you, you are told in advance what it's going to say um, or, or matches your own expectations. Yeah, uh, that, being, that being said, you actually have that piece there. And, oh, it looks like we have to take a break right now. So, anyways, I forgot, totally forgot about that. Missed the time. Anyways, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International. Oh, nope, next generation. With us, <laughs> Parsons and Ron Kolick, and uh, we'll be right back right here on Tojanet Parrax, Ghost Channel, and beyond. We'll be right back. Hello, hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I am required elsewhere on something called a K2, 
But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Everything you heard about witches is true. Halloween is the time of year when the shades of the dead whisper from forgotten places and spirits walk among us. The witches of Salem, Massachusetts honor this time with Festival of the Dead, an annual event series that explores death's macabre customs, heretical histories, and strange rituals. Founded by Salem witches, Sean Poirier and Christian Day, and hosted by the foremost authorities on the spirit world, Festival of the Dead beckons guests to step through the veil into a mysterious realm where spirits await you. To learn more or to purchase tickets, visit festivalofthedead.com or call 978-740-9783. Happy Halloween! <laughs> Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Well, I'm assuming that we're back for part two of Ghost Chronicles, The Next Generation, with a really bad Skype echo. Uh, before the break, we were talking with Joel, a par fellow paranormal investigator, and the voice uh, has a perfect voice for radio because he's a talk show radio host, and we're both learning, Ron and I are both learning how to do it tonight. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm standing in for the for Anne Kerrigan, who is scared beyond belief, too scared to come on the show because of the lightning storms here in West Wales. Evidently. Evidently. Or maybe she's just having a night off partying. Right. So there you go. Yeah. Anyway. So before the break, uh, we, were, we were talking mostly EVPs, but jo Joel is also a fellow paranormal investigator. So I am. That, that is, you know, as a, as a ghost hunter, that's got to be, you know, number one on my, my list of priorities to talk to you about. Uh, so some of your most memorable cases, perhaps. Are they some oh, of the techniques boy. that you prefer using? Um, you know, you, t you touched before the break about ghost hunting becoming very technical. Uh, I, how do you feel about this technical revolution? Uh, you know, it's funny because when I started, about the only thing that you honestly had was a recorder and a 35-millimeter camera. That was really about it. And, you know, everything else was just kind of on the horizon, some things, but just wasn't quite here yet. Like EMF. We had no idea what the heck EMF was all about back then. You know, it was still a theory. No one was using the practice yet. Um, 
I am, I lean even to this day uh, when it comes to recording, just because, like I said, where I come from and the era, I still enjoy my analog recorder, to be honest with you. Um, only because of the way I have learned to use it and all those things. I think you can get good with digital, but analog, I, I, I really believe, lends itself a little easier. <laughs> That's even correctly the way to put it. It lends itself a little more to EVP. Okay. I mean, what, if we just come away a little bit from EVP, I, I know uh, you and I both have an interest in sound, but you know there, there are other uh, methods that are adopted widely. Digital dousing has replaced the old traditional table tipping and Ouija boards. The calling out seems to have faded away into a whisper. Um, you know, I, I still very much favour because we are dealing with with human experience, um, and one of the important things that I always bang on about is uh, is the notebook and pen and the documenting of the human experience rather than the equipment. I mean, are you are you primarily equipment focused, or are you do you pay close attention to the human testimony, say from the investigators and the witnesses? I pay more attention, like you, to the human experience because first and foremost, is a people business. Um, if, if you will, we uh-huh. are in there helping people, A, and B, the people that passed, which happen to be the ghosts, are also people. The best thing that we can do for the best outcome is listen, take notes, use the thing between our ears that God gave us, and use our own instincts first before we jump to the technology. Again, this is a people business. You know, just use your eyes and ears and your own senses first. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, with these older methods, though, these, these more spiritualist-based methods of table tipping, the Ouija board, um, the pendulum dousing, do you think that they still have any value in the 21st century alongside their electronic uh, counterparts? Sure they do. They, they still have a place. I mean, they've been used for centuries upon centuries, and they're going to be around even after all those electronics are gone. You... You can never replace the true human interaction with some of these things. I'm not a big fan of the Ouija board. We recently had Robert Murch on our show, which yep. is, he's, you know, he's one of the foremost experts. Personally, I'm not a Ouija board guy, but if somebody is, and not that I'm advocating any use of it, if that's something you choose to use more power to you. But I think these old ways will outlast, in a nutshell, <laughs> answering the question, the long answer will outlive this electronic revolution. Why do you think that is? What, because why, it's tactile. Why do we keep falling back to them? Because we can touch it. We can experience it. I'll never be able to touch a digital picture, but I'll be able to touch a thousand rod. Right. So you think that the, that the human element is still an important component in terms of the direct interaction you know, via for example, a board or a dousing rod or a pendulum. Do you think it actually needs that human input rather than... I, you know, a, I, think a, human beings the, I think that human beings are the best conduit of paranormal activity there is. Mm. I, I really do, because we are, we're able to interact with the other side like at nothing digital can. We're going to end up there, Okay. And we know right. people that are already the past. We are already in tune. We are all spiritual beings. We're just walking around meat suits. <laughs> one way that's of putting it. Yeah, I was going to say that's a one way. Um, right. 
I actually have a, a question, and I, I meant to get to it. So I'm going to hit go back to EVPs for one second, and then we'll, we'll move on from them. Uh, Nate from the chat room says they have real-time audio recorders uh, that you put the headphones on, and you hear the, the recording in real time, but actually it's a, a delayed time. Um, what's your thoughts about that, Joel? I think that it can be good as long as you're backing it up with a recording, of course, that you can go back and analyze. I think that having that instant gratification, if you will, brings more people to the paranormal table because let's just be honest, paranormal investigation can be a little boring when you don't get that instant result a lot of people love. Mm -hmm. Is there any real advantage to it? Uh, No, because you still have to scrutinize whether you caught it or whether you didn't. Okay. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of them myself. But anyways, uh, the other thing I want to ask you about, and this is getting away from EVPs, is is the TV shows. We, we are getting more and more of them. And when they first came out, uh, you know, the first shows were about the human experience. And then we, you know, it came into more of the investigative things. And, and then they were saying, you know, the places weren't haunted. They were haunted. And then eventually they were all haunted. And then we had demons and shadow people and uh, do you think TV is going, you know, is it leading us down the wrong path or, or, or what? Or is it good? I think that there should be a giant for entertainment purposes only in front of each and every episode. <laughs> I, I don't think it should be used as a training guide. I think it should be taken for what it's meant to be as entertainment. I think that it's to some extent created a mass hysteria about demons and things like that amongst people. Mm-hmm. that may or may not exist, instead of look, watching Ghost Hunters, and no offense to any shows, you know what, I mean, I do radio, I'm right there in the paramedia, okay, so I'm, I'm one of them, I guess, but uh, what I'm trying to say is, instead of using that as a training guide, if it sparks your interest, awesome, but go find a reputable group with reputable people and learn hands-on the right way. Okay. You agree with that, Parsons? Uh, you know my thoughts on, on, on TV shows. I, I actually think that they're a double-edged sword. Um, and, and to be honest with you, I don't think they're a great double-edged sword anymore. I think they're, they're blunt on the side of, real, of reason and reality, and they're extremely sharp on the side of misleading entertainment. And I think people often forget that they are primarily there to sell advertising and that their, their prime focus is is entertainment. They, they have no relationship, really, to investigations. No, uh, not really. It is all investigations. entertainment. Yeah, it is I, all entertainment. When viewed like, like that, they're not a bad thing, but... You, you know, as long as people understand within reason what they are going into it, you know, don't... don't uh, and, and I think it has caused um, a whole new genre of investigating as in wanting to get a TV show, and that's the only reason why I'm in this field kind of thing going on. Amen, brother. You know, um, I personally attack uh, it from a scientific end. Radio happens to be what I do to feed my family, and that's it. Radio is what I do. That's what I've been doing for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Did it before paranormal was around. Um, you know, well, before I was in the paranormal, rather. Okay. Uh, the thing of it is, is the TV show's, are, like I mentioned before, are entertainment purposes only. If I had a nickel for everybody 
that came to me in my life and said, well, I've watched every episode of Ghost Hunters. I'm good to go. I'd be a rich man. <laughs> I learned it from the television. Exactly. So I, I, I wanted to get back into that, and you said you were a radio show and then paranormal. What made you get into the paranormal, uh, Bill? Oh, boy. Uh, you know, when I was a small kid, and this is going to sound so cliche, as I lived in a haunted house, and I actually did. I, I lived in a, um, a little farmhouse up in the frozen tundra of northern Minnesota, and I had several experiences in this old house, but one of them kind of I will never forget. I was old probably about maybe eight, nine years old. And I was, you know, I had some older sisters, and they were watching me. And I ran up to get some uh, pajamas on. And I ran into a shadow person <laughs> sitting on my bed, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. It stared at me. I stared at it. And I think it was just as shocked to see me as I was the shock, as it was to see me. It did it both ways around. We're both shocked. We had a Scooby-Doo moment together. And it just kind of, we were locked in the gaze, probably maybe five seconds, but man, it felt like hours. And boy, that really got me thinking, well, what the heck is going on? It scared the crap out of me first, of course, for a long time when I was a little kid. Right. But then as I grew up, I started thinking, well, what was that? What's going on there? I mean, you know, what else is out there? And that's really what started it, was just trying to figure out when we go from this plane that we're living on now to the next. How does it all work? I understand totally. Uh, but I never grew up in a haunted house, and I never had paranormal experiences. And but I took until I got into ghost hunting, so that's a little different for me. Um, but so many people that have gotten into the field originally have because of what you said but now i think a lot more of the people that are getting involved are because of the tv i would agree i i would wholeheartedly agree with that okay and and it's no knock against tv again because it's entertainment and if somebody gets a show and they're on the show and they're enjoying what they're doing i i I say more power to them but at the same time remember everybody that's watching it is in no way shape nor form and they will tell you this a training guide mm-hmm. you, you know uh how many times you guys ran into someone in your own lives where they said well i've watched all sorts of paranormal television i'm good to go yeah, i watched a program on um, building a nuclear submarine a few weeks ago but i don't think i could build one and i i really wouldn't be comfortable having the the house rewired by some guy who watched a diy show on uh <laughs> <laughs> on, 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 on the learning channel you know like let's get the professionals in let's get somebody that really knows what they're doing you can't learn something from in, from you know, from the internet you know, or watching it on tv it's just it's ludicrous these shows are prior they're purely entertainment they exist only to sell adverts and to and to make one or two people into stars because people crave i mean it's one of the one of the strange uh and interesting anomalies that we have in psychical research at the moment is a desire for, for fame. And you know, I think maybe the, the psychologists really need to be studying the ghost hunters at a psychological level to discover why, what is this sudden desire for fame? You know, they want the YouTube channels, they want, to, they want their five minutes of fame on Facebook, click like, uh, love me, uh, poke me. 
uh, do what you like to me, roll me over and tickle me, tell me I just want to be famous. It's, is it really about hunting ghosts anymore? You know, I want to say for the vast majority of people that I know, and, and my, my co-host Bruce Bearclaw, he has a great saying, boots on the ground investigation. For the vast majority of people, it's still that boots on the ground investigation. I want to say, you know, outside people want to be famous and they're out there and they're doing this and they're doing that, which is whatever. I would have to say the vast majority of investigators, though, are still true to what they're doing. But it's those few that, you know, kind of ring the bell and say, look at me, look at me, look at the attention, rather than the guy doing his work in obscurity and furthering the field. I think you're being extremely charitable because I would take almost the exact opposite view uh, nowadays. And I, I speak mainly from the, U, the UK perspective. Right. Virtually every paranormal group is, is an events company. Virtually every single one of them has a YouTube channel and they're falling over themselves every, every Sunday in, in the Sunday morning rush to get their stuff onto Facebook. I don't think that they are actually seriously investigating. They might believe that they are, but... Mm-hmm. They're just collecting. It's almost like stamp collecting or, 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 or writing the numbers of trains or aeroplanes down. It's I've got more EVPs than you, and look at our greatest evidence. In actual fact, you know, we talked about EVPs before and photographs. When, when somebody puts a photograph up, where they have to draw a red circle around the anomaly or they have to tell people what the EVP is beforehand. Evidentially, you know, it, it's... Is it any wonder that parapsychology laughs at ghost hunting? Our credibility is shot through in tatters. If you look at amateur astronomy or amateur archaeology, they can work hand-in-hand with the professional uh, academics uh, uh, who respect them for what they do. Uh, It used to be the case that psychical researchers worked and were respected by parapsychologists. Now I think we're just a laughing stock. And, And part of it, though, is there's no standard and practices in place. Um, because anybody can do it. There's no actual standard and practices saying this is how we're going to collect evidence, this is how it will be accepted, this is everything from ground up. And that's part of the problem in the scientific community not taking it seriously because it's every Joe Blow that has a camera is out there taking pictures, as you said. So it's, yeah, just, I... it's just not done correctly to their parameters. Yeah, you're dead right. But there is actually standards. Um, If you're measuring temperature, there is an ISO or an American equivalent standard for measuring temperature, the same as there is for recording every physical parameter. What's needed is the amateurs to up the game and to record and to make measurements and observations and document uh, the, the investigation to the standards that are already there. The standards are, have been agreed worldwide by every you know, every uh, organization. Um, and so if they were measuring to those standards, then their work would be accepted. But what they're doing is they're, they're measuring EMF with a $35 uh, EMF meter that's not calibrated and is telling them basically nothing. And they're measuring temperature mm-hmm. with something that you know, they bought for $5, for $5 from Radio Shack. I couldn't say it better. Uh, and the thing of it is, is in science, Things in the laboratory, before it's really considered scientific fact, have to be recreated. How can you recreate Uh, those? How how can we recreate this over and over again so it can be measured and taken seriously as well? That's another thing to consider going into why it's not considered as mainstream. Reproducibility reproducibility, uh, is is one of the, the... 
one of the issues but there are there are other areas of of science um where reproducibility is is again a difficult thing to do mm-hmm. um, and so the if the experiments the, the experimental methods can address the the lack of reproducibility so that is a major stumbling block the biggest one is it's just the generally poor quality of the of the the measurements and the evidence that's offered you know of the temperature dropped 3 degrees but it was measured on an 8 dollar uh, radio shack thermometer it's meaningless but again we come right back to standards and practices right down to what equipment is accepted well we have standards we have iso and ansi standards we know what a calibrated thermometer is and we know there are also standards for how to use them not just uh, you know for calibration for operation for the uh, and handling and dealing with the results those standards exist. All the ghost hunters have to do is read the standards, use the equipment in the correct fashion, and the correct uh, and, and you will pr- they will by you know by default produce valid information. And, and another reason why, in my opinion, science doesn't look at us closer as a field of study is I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say a paradrama. Oh yeah, oh, I don't disagree with that. There's two words that are used in paranormal more than anything else. One is unity, and the other is paradrama. I, I agree 100. percent And, and paradrama. So you you've noticed that as well. I, I have noticed paradrama. You know, um, being a radio host, I, I I'm lucky enough to stay out of it. I, I don't buy into it. But other groups, they they kind of and you know, and, and I don't want to bash anybody, and I won't bash anybody. But if they could put away their differences long enough to come together in the unity that is so spoken of so much, the scientific community would take us more seriously as a group, uh, as a field of study, if we could just stop stabbing each other. Well, yeah, the fact that we're all that we're all being nice to each other and still making bad measurements isn't going to make parapsychology or, or parapsychology no. take notice. But, you know, I don't think you're ever going to get two paranormal groups. We have parunity here in the UK, and it's it's farcical. Um, they're at each other's throats nine times, uh, you know, nine hours out of every ten. Mm-hmm. They shout they shout unity to each other, and then you know the next minute they're they're at each other's throats on Facebook. Well, you're not going to believe this, but we've got to actually wrap it up now. Uh, Joel, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. We've been speaking with... Uh, yeah, it's a fascinating talk. Joel Sturgis of uh, After Hours AM and uh, Paranormal Investigator and EVP Specialist. Joel, thank you so much for being well, with thank us. thank you. Thanks, guys, thank for having Joel. me. You guys, take care now. Really good chat. Oh, yeah. Thank you very, very much. Yeah. Bye now. Well, that uh, was pretty cool, but right now we've got to play uh, a Beyond Bizarre from my favorite girl, Vala Ventura. Dead or Alive According to the Associated Press, there was a bizarre burglary in April 2008 in Spain. A prowler broke into a funeral home and Burgess thought no one is sure exactly what the burglar intended to steal. And when neighbors alerted police, the creepy criminal tried to hide. Police, along with the funeral parlor's owner, searched the place and found him lying on a table in a glass-in viewing chamber that is used during wakes. The police 
said not only was he breathing, but he was also dressed shabbily, a dead giveaway in a parlor where their custom is to dress the deceased in their finest suits. A freaky fact from Barla Ventura's Book of the Bazaar. And of course, that was Vala Ventura and the Book of Bazaar. But anyways, uh, it was pretty interesting. He had a lot of thoughts, and uh, it's definitely good to speak to someone who is also in the, the same field as us. So that was kind of cool. But anyways, I want to mention a couple things. Uh, next week, uh, I will be giving a lecture at the Nevins Library in Methuen. Uh, come on down. It's a free event, which is not often happens. So also on Saturday, we'll be Salem, Massachusetts for our 11th year as part of the Festival of the Dead and Spectral Evidence and tickets are still available. Go to the Festival of the Dead website or check out our website at neghostproject.com, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com. And then a week from Tuesday will be my monthly paranormal study group at Circles of Wisdom, and we'll be looking at the Raduf, Radif dial, and the Tesla radio, and some other EVP stuff we'll be playing around with. So that should be a lot of fun. Can I tell so, myself now, then? Yeah, I was just going to tell. So what do you got coming up? <laughs> Well, if you're over in Wexford, Ireland on the 28th, 29th, uh, 29th uh, the, the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of Halloween week, um, I'm doing a series of talks and ghost hunts at Ennis Coffee Castle with Haunted Wexford and the 1798 Rebellion Centre. If you go to the Haunted Wexford, uh, you just have to Google it because I don't know the email address off the top of my head. Uh, or go to my Facebook page and you scroll back, you'll find the poster, which I'll put up in a little while. And it's also on the Ghost Chronicles International page. Um, I think there's some one or two tickets left. Oh, really? That's good. So anyways, uh, that, was the, that was the doorbell, which means pizza from the dead is here, and we've got to wrap it up. So uh, tune in next Tuesday for Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojanet, Pararex, Planet Paranormal, and wherever else it is, uh, your iTunes app. And you can catch Steve and I. We know our special guest will be who, Steve? It will be uh, Dave Blank, um, at, who has founded Paranormal World, uh, which is a all-encompassing Facebook uh, page and uh, Sheila Ellison, a Canadian medium. Really? So, but, wait, a minute. How, wait a minute. Why do we have a UFO and a medium on at the same time? Yeah, all will be what, revealed what next, all will be revealed next week. We have a medium but, and a ufologist. And they're both in Canada. Which might, be a, which might be a clue as to why they're both on at the same time. I have no clue. Well, you said it's Ghost Chronicles International. I have to keep finding his guests from around the world. Oh, is that what it is? I'm working on, I'm working on Skippy the Bush Kanga Ghost Hunter. Yeah, but how is a medium and a UFOlogist on... Well, there you go. Well, you there, are you going to read the mind of the, the aliens, the grey ones? There's your first question for next week's show. I will see. <laughs> That'll anyway, be a good show. Keep talking. I'm typing. Okay. Well, you said you wanted the international guests. So you cha- you set me the challenge of finding international guests. So, you know, Ireland. Uh, we've done Germany. We've done Scotland. We've done England, and we've now done Canada and the US. So, there you go. You see, Ghost Chronicles International. 
I actually had someone lined up from Italy, but uh, they were too busy doing their uh, video production for their YouTube channel. So uh, <laughs> they asked if we could put it off. Uh, so, you know, I thought yeah. you like that. Click like, poke me, love me. Kiss me, love me, hug me. Yeah, kiss my ass. <laughs> oh, anyways, that's the music. Steve, Good night, God bless. I want to thank you so much for staying up uh, and joining us. My pleasure. And now all our listeners, too. So, good night and God bless, everyone. Good night, God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.